Stay up on the real culture of Detroit by tuning in to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network weekly. Music, art, business, comedy, and never-before-told stories from the people of Detroit. You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast on the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Alright, both cameras is rolling, so I'm just rolling with this one. Yeah. And you say how many? So three, two. Welcome everybody, what's going on, Tommy? What up, Joe? This is Sterling Toes. I know you're used mm-hmm. to hearing Kari Frazier's voice first. Mm-hmm. But I am in the other seat today and I am here with my homeboy, longtime partner, confidant Kari Frazier. And we are at a special momentous moment right now because we are at episode 100. 100 deep, man. 100, 100 deep. deep. That's crazy. 100 deep. So we're going to get a lot into this whole Detroit is different thing to celebrate yes, this, this 100 yes, episode of Detroit is different. And uh, I'd like to start off by saying, man, I, I think what you've been doing is, is quite incredible, excellent, and just how far you're, you're, how can I say, how far you stretched across uh, so many different uh, realms of Detroit culture. And Thank you, sir. Activism and creativity has been pretty incredible, man. So I just wanted to tip my ass off you. Oh, thank you, man. For that. Thank you. And uh, yeah, man, let's get into it. So I want to start off by saying recently, man, it was funny. I uh, came and met with some kids that you were working with on the east side. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Over at, right? um, over at ECN, uh, it was a summer youth program. Right, right. Definitely. That right. group of kids, like Southeastern, uh, Mac Alter Square, like that Mac neighborhood. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So the funny part about that, I was there, and a young lady was like, why are you here? And I'm like, I'm here to, to be with y'all and talk about music. And she's like, you in Detroit is different. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, she's like, damn, they everywhere. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> So I want to get a little bit into the process of how y'all, how you and this whole entity got to be everywhere. But where does this vision for Detroit is different start? Well, it all started, uh, you know, I was working on my album to come out for years. I kind of took a play out of your book of working on music for years (laughs) before I made my Detroit What Heaven album. And that process began... I would say in 2010, 2011, and as I was working on the music for that, I was so much changed. Uh, the market for selling CDs, uh, the way to get word out, a lot of things started shifting exclusively to the internet. And as things shifted to the internet, I was starting to pay more attention to a lot of the hip hop blogs, a lot of the hip hop websites. Uh, some of the people making content around music. And that's what made me say, all right, I have an album called If You Trade For Heaven. Why not make some content around myself and what I like about Detroit so much? I'm always talking about Detroit with different people. I've met a lot of Detroiters that have unique stories. Why not create something adjacent to help market the album? That's how the idea began in the at at first and from marketing something to make the album what it became was so much bigger than the album and the vision 
for looking as a marketing tool for hip hop, it has become a platform for storytelling and culture of Detroit. So, where where did the Detroit is different tag pop up for the first time? Okay, you know my friend Brandon. We were talking, and I was saying I don't want to make the website Detroit Heaven because I, I made a website Detroit Heaven through Squarespace, and I'm like that's cool, but I feel that that isn't really the story of Detroit how I know it because Detroit if Detroit were heaven is a play on the concept of a lot of different things of how will people respond to Detroit but Detroit can also be hell for certain people it can be purgatory for others it can be a lot of things and that's why it's like what is Detroit and it's Detroit is different so it was Detroit's different then it became Detroit is different because it is the people here are very passionate, eclectic, colorful. It's it's interesting exchanges you get anywhere in Detroit if you're willing to sit, listen, and drink it in. So, okay, so you got this album, you're done with it, right? Mm -hmm. You're figuring out how to share it. Mm -hmm. uh, come over Detroit is different. And what form did it take on initially? Like, what, what was it? Was it a website first? What was it? It was a blog website of storytelling. Uh, those initial posts and anybody that gets into this, you know, I would say your first two months, you're hitting them hard with all types of forms of different creativity before you start really getting into the flow and knowing what it is. So one of the many things that it started with was what we're doing right now with podcasts. I opened up my first month with a podcast interview with Baba Malik. I was like, Malik Yakini is somebody I think that has a very unique Detroit story and makes Detroit different. And I learned so much about him in that podcast where I said, okay, I need to do this more often. I need to continue to bring more people out because these stories are intersected in different ways. So podcasting was where things started. I also used to do a feature that I really like called What If Detroit. So I did, what if Motown stayed in Detroit? What if the 68 Olympics actually happened in Detroit? What if Paradise Valley were here? Because I, I offered it to other people, but it's some unique things that were scheduled to happen in Detroit that did not happen or just circumstances that happened. Like even uh, 375, if, if 375 was never built and Paradise Valley remained, that's an interesting what if as well. You know? So where did the early responses come from in terms of like who was who got to this content the first? The yeah. first fans always are like your friends, your family, your mm -hmm. loved ones, the people closest to you. So that was initial. And after about a month and a half, it's like, yo, man, stop emailing me this. New people became, uh, became interested in what I was writing. One of the biggest stories I think that really hit was I wrote a piece about ruin porn uh, and I said you know uh, it's not ruin porn for me and I just told the story of my block and by telling that story of my block that piece took off big time where a lot of people shared that piece it led to an opportunity to speak on a panel that uh, a mutual acquaintance and friend of ours Freddie set up at MoCAD and now that kind of goes down as one of my, I guess, uh, 
one of my speaking engagements that engaged a lot of people around my thought process, the way that I deliver what I'm feeling at the time. And that all came from an idea that I had about ruin porn just based on my neighborhood and how people see the term blight and what blight is and how that exists, which connects kind of to the project that I was doing and still working on with Heidi Juganitz, another mutual acquaintance, a friend of mine, uh, the Framing Home Project that really talks about what is blight, what is home, uh, what's ownership, and why do homes play such a pivotal role in cities like Detroit. So at, at this point, as people are starting to get wind of what's happening in Detroit is different, mm -hmm. um, are there things now that you're like, whoa, I didn't expect this, I didn't anticipate this? Most uh, definitely. What are the things that now are beginning to inform how you move forward? I am surprised how podcasting is taken off in the black community because it's a lot of black people that are like, yo, I want to do some podcasting. I want to do some podcasting. And it's this free form of conversation. It's what you and I have done for years, right. just in our friendship. Right. And I think about some of our conversations before, and it's like, man, we should have been recording those <laughs> and sharing them. But um, yeah. it is humbling now as I've opened up the doors and allowed other content creators and people to share their stories about whatever they're passionate about, you know. Jennifer Crawford, Piper Carter, Josh Adams, and so many others are, are now coming on board with Detroit is Different and sharing their stories, connecting to the people that are interested in what they're doing. All different backgrounds, all different ideas, all different takes on Detroit at the heart of what makes Detroit different. So you had this initial idea for Detroit is Different. Like, what are some of the things that might have become a part of the vision down the line that you didn't necessarily see it being a part of the vision initially based off of how mm -hmm. people gravitated to it. Well, I should have opened up the doors for collaboration a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. I, I believe in the beginning I was so in my own zone thinking that I think this is cool and I don't know who else connects with this, but I'm gonna offer them the opportunity to check it out. But I never really opened up the door for them to also connect and use the platform themselves until recently. Uh, as of recently, I've really opened up the door in the platform of expression. Uh, even this iteration of the podcast studio. You remember the original podcast right, studio. Right. When I was getting that off the ground, we were running into issues. It was upstairs from where I live. Now we're next door. Uh, and this is a, a straight incubator space. Yeah, I want to get into that in a little bit. Yeah, yeah it, I had no idea that so many people wanted to connect and use a space like this. And I still feel that I'm at the tip of the iceberg of the possibilities of what can happen in this space and working with others. So, can you tell us all of the things now that Detroit is Different entails? Okay, Detroit is Different is still a website. Definitely a website. Also a podcast. And a podcast network. And a video series uh, that you can get to through YouTube but most people go through Facebook, also a social media. Also, it is a platform of photography, video, uh, events. It's a mix of culture all over the place. And I see it expanding more and more as time goes on and allowing people to meet, allowing people to 
get information and tell stories and just give their perspective of what makes this place so different for them. Yes, absolutely. So, how did this whole space come to be? Right. So, because. Yeah, I remember we were uh, in the spot above, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, above your, your house, and this is like a lot more elaborate. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were like in the so, uh, <laughs> we were in the back room in the beginning. Yeah. yeah, we were like the kid that got in trouble, yeah. and now we're like the kid that ended up finding out they can go to another school. Right. It's like. Oh, this is what my friends are. That's, so, that's what's yeah. happening now. So can you talk about how this whole makerspace evolved and came to be, and also the significance of the house itself? Okay, well, originally, as you know, one of my best friends, DeWine, he stayed here for forever. This is my grandmother's house. But for years, DeWine was the renter that I rented to. And we were coming up on time and looking to convince, and the we was me, myself and my mother, convincing my grandmother to move in and move from Cincinnati to move back to Detroit. And we, I thought we kind of had her corner where she was about to say yes. And as she was about to say yes, it's like, let's make the space for her to live here. And in making the space for her to live here, the first option was to use this space as that place. Did she lived here previously? No, she only, she's lived, my grandma has lived in Little Rock, Arkansas, in Cincinnati, Ohio. Wait, who was living in this house before? Though? Okay, my great, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother. Okay, that's okay. So this paternal grandmother was potentially yes. Okay. Yes, okay. my father's mother was. Right. What we were we were looking to campaign. It was it was like a uh, it was like I guess a, a, a coach recruiting a college <laughs> <laughs> a college superstar said, "Please come to the school," you know. Um, <laughs> But originally, this space was purchased in 1947. And it was purchased in 47 through my grandfather and my grandmother. Uh, when they moved to Detroit, he used part of his GI Bill, he was a World War II veteran, to purchase this space. They were the second black family on the block. This was a Jewish neighborhood, and soon after, within three years, it was nothing but black people. Uh, and that was taking place like right there from 47, 48, 49, over to 50, it transitioned complete black neighborhood from a Jewish neighborhood. Uh, even even when I spoke with and interviewed Howard Hurts, the attorney, uh, he was like, yeah, this, you know, this was like basically my neighborhood, you know, at one point in time, because many Jewish families live throughout the West Side period, but definitely over here. And in buying the home and having the property, it meant a whole lot to my grandfather and my grandmother. Uh, they also erected, as you can see, the home behind this house, which was my great-grandmother's home, that they moved into with elder care. As people say, like, well, why is that little house behind here? That was built for my great-grandmother. So this house and property means a lot to my family. The room we're in right now was always the master bedroom, and this was my grandma's room. So, uh, as I remember it as a child. So this asset has been in our family for a long time. Uh, and as long as the house, as well as the house next door where I live. And now to can transition it to a workspace. When my paternal grandmother 
uh, chose to go to another team, as they may say. Yeah, she decided right to take her yes. talents to South Beach. Yeah, she took her talents <laughs> to South Beach. <laughs> the decision. The decision. <laughs> so, how, how did you How did you rebuild the franchise? Exactly. I burned bur my grandma's jersey. <laughs> Burn my grandma's jersey, but uh, so in it, we. I was telling my mom. I, I told her I still really want to do something creatively. You know, I've had offices in a lot of different places. I've had workspaces in a lot of different places. Uh, we back when I was partnered with so many other creatives. I had the fourteen forty right there on Brashit, fourteen forty Brashit. I think a lot of people kind of know that is where Nick Notion lives or Nick Notions workspace uh, production studio but for for years that was where we created together uh, and together was myself Nadir, Joey Spina, Davey G, Biba, Eric Campbell, Manpower. Uh, it was a space where we always were working and being creative so that was one space. Then I had a space that I shared with Mayo or Kills or Khan in Southfield at the Regals, or as we said, the Southfield Projects. So we were out there for a while. Uh, I had another space in in Dearborn where I was partnered with uh, a group of people just thinking about a studio. So it's it's these different places that I was always bouncing around at, and I was like, okay, it's time to really settle down with this opportunity, take advantage of this and utilize this workspace and make it something that's really cool while still honoring the legacy of my family and opening the doors to more people outside of just my family. All right, so what, what do you look forward to in terms of what, I guess, what else could happen in this building, you know, in this house? Well, first off, when I first showed a couple of people one of the things that stood out in my mind was Yusef Shakur saw the space and he told me this is the most revolutionary shit you ever done and I was thinking to myself like okay interesting Yusef can say this and you know and Yusef's presence and everything you know his aura and spirit and I didn't really think about it like that but the more that I opened up the doors to more people now I see because as much land that's in Detroit as many spaces that are in Detroit, I've taken for granted the equipment that I have and the skill sets that I have and some of the relationships that I have just by being me. I'm like in my own, you know, you, you, I'm in my own space and in my own headspace. Right. But through this, it's, it's me having my basketball rim all over again. When I had a basketball rim, it welcomed so many kids right. into my backyard yeah. that I didn't even know lived in the neighborhood. So this is like basketball times a thousand because it's so many people coming through here sitting and talking on these microphones. Even people that I know opening up in different ways or coming for different people. Your, your cousin Kier, he was one of the rare guests. It's a couple now that have done Piper's show and my show. And different interviews on both on both levels. You know, because they're both podcasts have a different a different feel, a different life, just due to the tonality of it. But that's a classic example of I've known Kier for years. You know, Kier is 
extended family in a lot of ways. But the way he opened up during both of those podcasts, and now he's like, hey, I, I can book some guests for you guys when you're interested. That avenue would have never presented itself without opening up the space like this, even though I've always had the capacity to do a form of this the whole time I've known Q. But the place itself is facilitating engagement in ways that I never expected. So, can you think of a moment where you felt like, hmm, like this was like revolutionary, you realize the impact of it? Like, has there been a moment where you're like, oh wow, like this really mm-hmm. facilitated something powerful, something that is very important to Detroit or the community? Well, a classic example of really my perspective of Detroit, which in some ways I think is like your perspective of Detroit, Mm -hmm. was Piper records her podcast the same day as Josh Adams. And Piper records earlier and Josh records later. And both of them, I think, are extremely talented, passionate, and great at what they do. But talking to two completely different audiences... In Detroit. So, so as Piper's leaving her podcast and closing out, and I don't even remember who Piper's guest was that night, Ian walks someone that went to high school with, North, another Northwestern guy, Kool Aid from Piper's pod, to for, for Josh's podcast. <laughs> and just seeing the interaction between Piper, Piper's producer and co host Brittany, and Josh. And Kool-Aid, and it's like, wow, this is so cool. Because mm-hmm. this is that that essence that I would hear about, and I'm like witnessing it when people would talk about Harlem Renaissance. Like, where, you know, it'd be Cab Calloway hanging out with Langston Hughes. Right. So it's like, Piper is sitting in the room with two of the comedians that, and, and Piper's staunch when it comes to uh, standing up for women's rights and, uh, different social justice struggles but two comedians with in some ways broad brush painted as can be misogynistic and everything (laughs) but hugging and kissing piper and still hearing some of these perspectives so it it wouldn't have to be so adversarial and sometimes it may be adversarial where now both can challenge one another and then talk about artistry in different ways like i'm like this is cool this is why detroit is different because both people can be in that same space, but now through this, you know, location itself and a vested interest, it creates something to to intersect. So how do you feel like Detroit is different is informed by like what's going on now? Because in a lot of ways, when you started it, I feel like things are changing so rapidly right yeah. now. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and it was a different social climate when you started it. Yeah, 2014, April 2014 was when this all launched. And even then, it was not as many Detroit-based content creation stations online. Uh, and when I say that, there are many websites that exist, but just staying consistent with content. And even Detroit is different has lapsed in content but more consistent than some. Uh, to do this, it takes way more dedication than I thought it would. Because 
after you get past the it's fun phase and it starts getting real and you're dedicating the time and energy and purpose behind it that's bigger than the idea whew, that's really where it starts getting real you know i mean podcasting can can start as as there are so many as they always say most podcasts last somewhere between five to ten episodes because you start off, you're really creative, you got segments and everything, then the next thing you know, you're interviewing your cousin, then the next thing you know, your cousin come back for every episode, and it's like, man, like I don't have this in me no more. Yeah, like that was on the bargain, that was Yeah. Yeah, basically, that's pretty much Let's it. Let's do a show how we met. Yeah, exactly. I can't think of nothing else. Yeah, 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 that's pretty much it. So, it is, is this emphasis kind of on this expanding podcast experience kind of like maybe taking the focus away from some other aspects or how do you balance the other components of Detroit is different as this podcast thing just has become so you know uh, blossomed you know? well I definitely want to get it more into web series uh, another one of my really close friends and I don't even know how it, how close people know you and I are as we intersect in a lot of different ways of different worlds of people that may be connected or adjacently connected or whatever. Or and, don't mess with each other. Yeah, or, or don't, don't want anything to do with one another. Uh, but I, I don't know if people even know how close we are. But uh, another one of my brothers in arms and Mike Willingham really is going to help and support coming up with a lot more video content because I see a lot of web series creating and I still love the written form too you know I love the written form it takes a different intentionality to be creative and the one thing that is standing out is passion passion and vision stand out immensely you know that's something that you've always stood in but being very intentional about having a vision and being passionate about that vision so that it's more than just the expectation of accolades or opportunities or whatever but it's really something you're committed to and then talk a little bit about you know not only are you doing podcasting and looking at the web series and stuff like that but you've also like done a lot of uh graphic work and, yeah and, and, and yeah it, it's making the content is a lot more steps than people think like today we launched unicorns are real like as we're talking and that's a podcast about artists but you know it's it's many steps in the process so you need to to launch a podcast you need graphics for a podcast you need an overall description of what your podcast is you need to make episode descriptions uh you also need to submit your podcast to the different places that they can get it. So like Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Apple, Google Play. Like these are all steps just for podcasting. But along with that, now comes social media and welcoming people to listen. Uh, and all of this kind of can play a graphic role because you're speaking to people through their eyes on what will entice them to listen. But it's also an audio role because how do we cut a snippet you know, 30 seconds to a minute to give people a trailer of what you're talking about and then connect people and make it organic where it's not one of those things where you're forcing the trailer. Like, you know, when you watch a movie, you 
you think like, man, that's probably the best joke in that movie that they put in the commercial. Right. Like, it's not supposed to be like that. <laughs> All right, what do you feel like is one of the biggest things you, you've learned in this process? It's really the essence of this, uh, of the name. Trent is different because of the people. Uh, people are, people, I'm learning more and more about people and myself through working with so many people with, with this project. And really the, the ways to engage and what people are passionate about, what they have a vision for. That passion and vision are, are so, are, it's so key to this work. It's so key to this work. Um, I, I can't, I can't explain exactly when I see that, as far as like what makes it all. But but witnessing it and watching it come together is amazing. Because I'm humbled by some of the drive that some of the creators have brought to the table, and also some of the. Some of the attitudes and the humility and the joy that some of the people I feature bring back to it. You know? It's it's so cool. I, I never would have expected people to respond the way they respond. And then on the flip side, some people I'm thinking like, okay, this person, this is right up their alley. They're telling me that they're interested in A, B, and C, but when given that opportunity, you know, they're, they're, their mind really isn't there. Right. And they still may have a passion for it, but this just may not necessarily be the space right. and the avenue in which they want to express it. Right. So I want you to talk a little bit about a few things. So one, you know, you mentioned your mother for a minute. Uh-huh. And I would like you to talk a little bit about your mother's impact on Detroit is different. And also, uh, a little bit about your upbringing because one thing about it, I feel like you have a very unique Detroit experience. Yes. And, you know, growing up in African city schools and, mm. and just being in the hip hop scene and, and all these different things. So, um, talk a little bit about how all of these very sometimes contrasting, mm. uh, very colorful experiences. Uh, kind of converged into your own personal Detroit experience that led you to do this thing. Okay, well, first off, my mom, and this is what's so unique about the passing of my mother, this was the last project we really worked on together. And before her passing last year, uh, this, this meant a lot to my mother as this home meant a lot to my mother. My mother was the caretaker for her, her grandmother, my great-grandmother, and this is the home where she really did a lot of that, and obviously the, the house that was built from ground up on the property as well. So these locations mean a lot to my mom in her childhood, and what she remembers and how things could go. And really seeing this project through, like when you walk in the house, you see a story about the history of the house. And I told my mom I want to create this. And that was the very last thing we worked on together. So my mom passed away on a Wednesday. That Sunday, in classic Jan Frazier, Kari Frazier, back and forth, 
to make that message, it took us it took us about three and a half hours. Because I wrote it, and my mom's like, no, nah, change this word, change that word, change this word, change that word, change. And it's like, yo, mom, I think we got it. But I was just still diligent because I was like, this is so cool because now I'm going to have an opportunity with building this podcast. Uh, well, not podcast network, but with building the incubator space. I'm going to have an opportunity to have my mom's meticulous nature over every detail. And then I can give a rebuttal and she can give her rebuttal and she'll give her reasoning behind why she thinks we should go deeper. And I'll give my reasoning behind. I don't even think people care about that. Like we can play this uh, uh, world of perspectives as I learn more and more about how she sees things the way she sees things. You know, and I'm still looking to fulfill some of those things that I know she want to do just in my family. But in this house alone, the way my mom was about flowers, I, I'm very interested in seeing like what her vision for flowers through the spring and through the summer and through the fall would look like here. Knowing that some of the guests that I've had would have been people where it's like, you're interviewing him or you're interviewing her, you need to, you know, I'm very interested in what that would have been. You know, because that was the intentionality of the type of woman she was. And knowing that this project would have been more so than any other project of vested collaboration between me and my mom. As I told my dad for years, she kind of worked along with him. But I was like, this project would have brought my mom to work along with me in business instead of him. Right. Wow. Wow. Talk a little bit about uh, how you came up with it too. Just mm -hmm. schools and seeing quickly. Um, and how like that informed your perspective that Detroit is not a usual place because of, you had all these very interesting yeah. experiences. Um, well, like I, I mean, this is my neighborhood, and I have that line in the song, one of my songs. It's like my family was the Cosby's around broken homes. Um, it's something that I surmise, and even looking back at it, I, I'm not one to look at a home as broken, but. On my block, my, my dad was present in the household. Uh, Mr. Bestida, who was across the street, uh, my first job delivering newspapers to Mr. Bestida. So, shout out to that guy. <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, Big James was another father that was present. But it was about 28 kids, kind of like between two blocks yeah. and three fathers. And of the fathers, my father was like, even him being present played a different role. And very intentional about a lot of things. My name's Kari, uh, a name chosen from a book of African names, uh, the Pan-African movement and being African-centered in thought and theory was very active at the time of my birth in 82. So that was where my parents were focused in looking at this is the way that we build nation we build nations so we definitely set our family up in this role so I, I began schooling with, with my African Center journey at Nataki Taliba but even there because it just was a different feel that was like African Center school for people with money then we went to Aisha Shule and it was like oh no this is like African Center school for kids that are like 
me, like kids kind of from the hood, you know. It felt more, more at home. But seeing these tapestries of personalities and learning these stories about African heroes, like something as small as most people call it right now, like that's the Wakanda stance. That was something I was doing as a kid because that's Angalia standing at attention, you know. So these warrior stances that children were standing at was something that I was being instructed on and told about when I was six, seven, eight, you know. Uh, our classes were not the typical classes. We weren't in first grade. We were the Maasai Nation, then the Kushite Nation, the Dogon Nation. Like these are ideals that were passed on uh, through one of the people that I have more and more respect for every, by every day. Mommy um, Imani Humphrey, uh, Mama and Boy that uh, began Aisha Shule. Uh, and under that thought process and that brain trust became uh, a way of shaping young minds around theories of self-determination, around pride, uh, around self-confidence. It's a different layer to my attitude of speaking up, I think, that comes connected to the household I grew up in and also being in an African civil school. So, I got a question for you. <laughs> uh, so, look, so it made me think about uh, the song that you got on the album, uh, The Trevor Heaven. Yeah. And kind of like the story about, you know, Detroit is dead in the live kind of meeting. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So as I was looking here and I'm looking at like the four microphones here. Yeah. Like if you could put four Detroiters in these seats, uh -huh. dead or alive. Okay. To 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 have four podcasts. <laughs> who, okay. who would be in those seats? Man? Okay, now now uh, you know me, I'm just like I'm an attorney. So is this this is like guilty pleasure? This is for me. This is for you. Okay. This is for you. <laughs> okay. Well, it's definitely going to be my homies that have passed. You know that I have personal relationships with. So, um, Othea Barnes most definitely. Uh, Eleanor Josias most definitely. Uh, Judge Claudia Morkel. And you said four. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take another mic. So Chokwe Lumumba will be sitting there. And then my grandmother, Mary Brown. So those people I will put together and I would love to just get into discussions about family. And so what would you be interested to see emerge from that conversation? Or like, what, what, what do you think would happen in that conversation? Well, well first off, I, all the names, obviously, very close relationships with, and that's another that's another thing that's very heavy on my heart about Detroit is different. And some of these people have showed favor in my life where I, I boy, oh boy, like right now, people think I can put my foot in my mouth now, or I can be kind of out of pocket, or I can be quick with the tug to say something, or lose an opportunity, and I can't be. You know, I, I'm not even. Hey, hey. I could definitely know if I'm not your cup of tea, as they say, you know, but I've definitely made strides because I don't have the same brash 
you know, attitude I used to have. I don't think the chip on my shoulder is as heavy. Um, but some of those relationships I had, like, I look at, and then I look at the lives that those people have led and the people they touch and the way that they will open up to me and just be present with me. And I'm still wondering, like, damn, you know? Like, it would be times, in visiting Eleanor Jositis, uh, the co-founder of Focus Hope, it would be times I would sit, talk with her, you know, and she'd walk over to her window ledge, and she'd just look outside the window and look at birds, because she really liked birds. And she'd be like, you know, you just look at them and how they connect and communicate. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I, I have actually thought that. But this is kind of our friendship, you know what I'm saying? And then later, it'd be like, yeah, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta call Kofi Annan for, for them. And it's like, damn, man, you know what I'm saying? It's like, damn, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, I never thought, I never thought people were putting together their daily schedule and saying to themselves, let me talk to Kari Frazier before I talk to Kofi Annan. Because I don't even know if I'd be talking to Kari Frazier before I talk to Kofi Annan. You know what I'm saying? I think Kofi Annan is like, like if you talk to Kofi Annan on Monday, you're probably talking to Kari like next Monday. <laughs> Kofi Annan was, uh, and this is like active, uh, one of the people that was the president of the United Nations. So, uh, you know, she met every sitting president ever since Focus, you know, from basically every sitting president Jimmy Carter on. Not only met them, they, they all toured the campuses of Focus Hope. And relationships were like, you know, favors could get called in and different things. And she was very present in a lot of our interactions whenever things were were needed, but more so than when things were needed, but just sit to sit and talk and have communication. Like she more so than anybody I've ever thought, you know had interest in the way that I put together rap lyrics, you know, and why I put words where they were. And this is just a strange, like this, this is the type of stuff that you turn on TV and you look at the, you look at the movie and you say, man, this looks corny as hell. Like, <laughs> what is this rapper doing sitting with this, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> sitting with a senior citizen white woman talking about rap lyrics. Like you don't even think, like you turn this on and you're like, I don't believe this. But it's like, damn, I, I, I don't believe this. You know, that's traveled the world, that's met so many people. And with Judge Morcom, it would be the same way. Mama Barnes, it would be the same way. It was some people that had access to so many people and opportunities that took time out to build a relationship with me and challenged me about, uh, you know, what I can do and how I can approach different things. And just, I had the access to them. When you think about like how, or do you feel like part of this whole Detroit is different than too is to kind of like extend their legacies or to? I would hope so. I would I would hope so that as as people see what I'm doing, it can it can trigger in them maybe that olive branch to continue to go. And there's so many big homies that I have, and, and another one that you know like Butch Small, Los's dad, like. He's coming to fold. It's like one of my coolest big homies now too, yeah. you know. And even talking to him, like you know, it, you, 
I call Butch, and it's like, oh, Kari, you know, I'm between cities with the Temptations, because right now he's like the music director for the Temptations and the Four Tops. And he's bouncing between cities with them. And then it's like, damn, you know what I mean? It's like, man, I kind of feel bad for taking your five minutes to ask you something like as silly as like, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, all right, so when Ali was singing on uh, on Not Just Knee Deep, right? I was noticing the part, right? <laughs> I was thinking, like, in the arrangement, was that Ali or was that George Clinton? <laughs> Isn't that, like, the beauty of, like, being in Detroit and why Detroit is so different? Because it's, it's such an intersection of... Like so many significant yeah. things that, that have happened in the multitude of yeah. like creative disciplines and yeah. genres and you know yeah. yeah like the the way you bump into people and our stories our collective stories I feel it's like an amoeba or something like everything is coming together and a grander story is to be told because it is so unique about the relationships between so many people in Detroit. Right. You know? Right. So I, I hear I hear these stories and and I think to myself, that's so Detroit because I've heard stories very similar to that. You know? Yeah. yeah. What's the story that, that to you is like is Detroit as it gets like what's a, what's a very very Detroit story like like an essence of like okay yeah that, that that's only in Detroit only in Detroit only something in like Detroit that something like that happened um I think I think it's so many so many examples of that but the right now it's my it's my Facebook cover photo. Mm-hmm. Right now, the black Jesus over that, that was painted at Sacred Heart, uh, Sacred Heart Church, outside of their campus, right on Linwood in Boston, or not, Linwood in Chicago, mm-hmm. tripping like that. So, during the rebellion, someone painted Jesus black mm-hmm. in form of protest. Right, <laughs> and the archdiocese was like, "Okay, now that everything's died down, we can change. We can paint it back." And later on, the priest and them went out there and said, "Nah, let's go out here and let's let's get better paint. And let's leave Jesus." Mm-hmm. Right. That's so Detroit to me, mm-hmm. you know, because right. through protest. You impact a priest that recognizes, like, damn, Jesus should be black right here. You know, and I, I already know my African center people are like, brother, Jesus is black everywhere. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus should be black. I mean, that says a lot on a on a, a campus of a Catholic institution to have a black Jesus with open arms welcoming everybody. That, that says a lot. So, so. For the priest and others to go out there and paint Jesus over black, like that's so Detroit to me. Because it's like the protester 
inspire a, a, a priest to reflect about them. How should, what should be the presentation of God that we give to these people in their community? And it's like, this should be, God should be represented as the people that are predominantly of this community. And we need to honor that, and we need to honor it the right way. How would you, if you, if you went ahead like 40, 50 years from now, like, mm -hmm. how would you, looking back, how would you have hoped that Detroit different has impacted the culture of the city? Um, I would hope that through what I'm doing with Detroit is different, I'm inspiring someone to gain an opportunity to pursue whatever their passion and vision is for what they feel most driven about. You know, so I will hope that an intern comes through here, a person comes through here that felt as though, you know, I didn't find the right place or space to do this form and style of work or express myself in this way. And Detroit is different gave that to me. So now I can take this and fold it and shape it and do something that is deep in there. Right. You talked about how you wanted to do uh, more things such as like web series and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Like in what ways too would you perhaps want to grow uh Detroit is different to have new connections to the community that yeah. you might not have right now? Yeah, and I think just like with podcasting, we're gonna start with some video content and and we're gonna go beyond that because right now it's based on the, the the scope of what is the perceptions of myself and Mike Willingham, my friend. You know the 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 outskirts of of that. It's no telling when we will reach that, but it's really gonna be focused around where our passions are and what we see as functionally capable. Someone else is going to come and challenge what that is and make it real cool. And are there things that are happening in the city that you see and you're like, oh, I would like Detroit is different to kind of tap into that or like extend <clears throat> itself to that? Or, you know, like, are there places in which you feel like Detroit is different hasn't arrived in terms of like just being in certain spaces that you're like, oh, it would be cool if it showed up here, popped up here? Or, connections here I believe that at this point is people mm -hmm. so the only place I really wanted to resonate is with the people that are actually creating the content myself included that I'm proud enough and I'm committed enough and I have the initiative to share because of the, because of how cool I feel everything is. So that's the places that it needs to be. So I know that's a very philosophical, <laughs> altruistic answer. You know, uh, you know, I know people may say it should be on cable TV or it should be you know, everybody's homes, but nah, I really still want it to be in the hearts of the people that are making it to be like, yo, check this out. Kind of how I used to feel about my music, you know. Not saying that I don't have that same pride, but it was a point in time where we would record a song and we get out the studio. 
myself and whoever I would go to the studio with because we often went together to save money to pay for uh, pay for studio time. And we would pass the CD around. But anytime I, I was past the CD, we would go to Belle Isle, we would listen to my uh, that song over and over and over and over and over again. And that formed that spirit. I, I don't really have that same spirit with music, though I appreciate it. I was listening to my my own Spotify channel. I'm not. I'm, I'm streaming myself, you know. So does does music? But it wasn't. It was different. It, does, does music ever creep back into this fold somehow? Or most definitely, I want to put a nail on the coffin in this in this musical <laughs> series. I see myself doing some more music with you. I know that makes uh, my friend Ian like, oh man, are you gonna? You know, but it'd be good to even circle back with Ian. And you know, Alex White, uh, I've been playing, he's been the, the music he's director the for whatever I do musically for a while because I'm doing other stuff. And it's like, yeah, man, make the band tight, you know. And uh, I see myself doing more stuff with, with Alex, period. Mm -hmm. I love, I just like his energy, his spirit. Right. Uh, That's the guy. Yeah, yeah. Alex is a good dude. Speaking of which, I saw Marcus Elliott not too long ago, too. Another good dude, you know? So it's some of these young creatives with a jazz background that are and seen beyond jazz that I want to do music. And, and I'm glad you said that, too, because I really, I really feel beautiful about this moment right now mm -hmm. in Detroit's history um, amidst all the changes and everything that's happening. I really do feel like this is a period where there are some people here that we're gonna look back in 10, 15 years and be like, wow, all these people were living in the city at the same time yeah. doing stuff. Yeah. Because I know a lot of these guys you just mentioned, like Alex and Marcus and yeah. Ian. Like on the Ian. All these guys are gonna be all over the world at yeah. some point. Yeah. Ian, like, so, uh, you know, definitely our friend Ralph. Yeah. Uh, Ralph's already all over. Ralph's, uh, Raphael Staten. Uh, these are some very creative and Sasha like creative and genuinely driven musical minds that I wanna I wanna build sound on. Yeah. yeah and, and I see, you know, for me, like I feel like when we look, you know, back in this time, we will see like this was I really feel like this is a renaissance moment right now. Yeah. You know? And, um, you know, so I think it's amazing that Detroit is different it's happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because in a sense, you know, like, I feel like Detroit is different. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like uh, the, 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 the multimedia picture that is like a great day in Harlem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. like it's documenting like all of this stuff. A lot of different types of people too. That's happening. Yeah, at this time, mm -hmm. you know, like we, we have more than just a photograph now. There's podcasts and there's this and there's that. Yeah. But it's a documentation of the fact that like all of these brilliant creative people are in yeah. the same place at the same time. You know? And it's gonna expand. So I'm very, I'm very interested in the seeing what's going to happen when i say it's going to expand not detroit is different but detroit is different will continue to grow uh, with the right intentionality behind it but the creativity of a lot of these people that are working here 
in different facets of life. Yeah, I know we're coming up on an hour, but we can ask definitely. You you can shoot a couple last last questions my way, and then we can wrap everything up. Yeah, because I had no idea how long it's supposed to be. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's different. It, it's, it's different. No, it's no it's no set. Right, one o five. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I you know, I guess one thing too I'm curious about is you know just. Because you, you've done so much in terms of music, um, I'm very curious to see how, because initially it started that way, where, yeah, you yeah. know, like, as this thing that was kind of like... It complimented a lot of music. Right, right. I was very intentional about telling lyrical stories, music right. stories. I just recently began putting up pictures with lyrics, and it's surprising how many... People are actually reading the lyrics. I, I was, I was like, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm curious to see, like, yeah, how that foray back into sort of like having the music be integrated in this process of Detroit different. That I'm about to make my walking with the pimper. Let's start with this. <laughs> <laughs> about to make my pink cookies in a plastic bag apple. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing too, though. It's, it's interesting because, and, and you can speak a little bit to this, but I feel like there's so many people that kind of came up in the hip hop generation, mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm talking about like people that were were born between like the late '70s and like mid '80s, right? That yeah. kind of grew up as this hip hop news was forming. Mm -hmm. um, and so many people, including myself, including you, uh, that kind of like the foundation of everything that they do, that now may not have or seem to have anything to do with hip hop. It's very much a hip hop, hip -hop. approach <laughs> to this all. Like, I was, you know, I was looking on my Instagram. Big Daddy Kane turned 50 a couple days ago. I put that post up and nobody even responded to that. But <laughs> I listened to. Put, put up a post when Takashi Six Nine turns twenty one. <laughs> 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 the the sticky up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> the Skull Gang or whatever it is, <laughs> Treyway, whatever they be yelling out, but. I listen to I listen to Warm It Up came on my YouTube repeat maybe about five times and I should have just pulled out. I mean I got the MP3. I was like, damn, Kane is it's like I got goosebumps again. You know what I'm saying? Of just like the way the way he starts it. You know the original Asiatic acrobatic. You know it's like right. this is like so the way the words fit in the beat like and. That's the rhythm. As people are set and watch me do graphics or in a video or write or think, and they're like, why are you always listening to music? And I'm like, this is the zone that I'm getting in. Right. I'm getting in the cane zone. I'm getting in that vibe. It's such a hip hop approach to so many things that I do, the same way that I will write lyrics. Like, right. So I know that it may not necessarily be the 
the discipline of you know, Toastmasters or uh, you know how to win friends and influence people. But my the lessons I learned from Rock Hill and Kane, and I apply into business, and I apply into content creation, and I apply into everything I'm doing. It's so much more vivid, and it's so it's so rich. Yeah. Thinking on my feet like that, and even freestyling like that, like I, I don't know where I would be without hip hop. Yeah. As it's it's my family that has had the largest impact on my life, but behind family, hip hop has had the largest impact on my life. Right. Every every moment, you know, I'm thinking, you know, and clicking as if. It's responding into a beat, and it's falling in pattern. It's it's a system that I got going that I'm understanding. I don't know if other people are understanding, but I'm getting. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you think about it, you know, it's like it, it. So many people that started just rapping or, or uh, being producers or DJs or whatever, mm-hmm. in an attempt, oftentimes to like make a career at it, they end up. Picking up all these skills along the way, yeah. <laughs> right? And they ne- may necessarily never get paid off the music, but ultimately end up getting paid off all the skills that they learn as a result yeah. of trying to push their craft forward. Yeah. It's it's Mr. Miyagi times thousand. Right, right. I never, I never expected to be in the positions that I'm in now with my marketing firm creating differences, but I know hip hop plays such a pivotal role. In and I know I have a hip hop approach towards so many things. People will say, "What's a hip hop approach?" You have to watch the attitude that I got with it, and and then recognize it. Yeah. Then see me zone out to what I connect with is hip hop. Yeah, and I, and I feel like in a lot of ways that that also connects to the Detroit spirit mm-hmm. too. You know, in the sense of like, you know, it makes me think about because uh, one thing Detroit is good about is taking what they got transformed it into something that mm-hmm. you know so that makes me think about people like Tyree you know what I'm saying and yeah took what was around and transformed it people like Malik Bikini that took land and transformed it and, you know yeah. and how because of our our what appears to be lack of resources sometimes you know it, it causes us to tap into that internal resource yeah and, and people see some of this stuff as barriers of entry where for others right. it's so fitting right yeah, it's an invitation. It's not a barrier. <laughs> yeah, almost it's better that right. this barrier exists. Right. right. Or what is better that what some would see as a barrier exists. Right, right, right. And so, if someone actually like Detroit is different in what way, what would you say? Like, if you had to sum it up. For somebody that's like never been here, never experienced this city, what really makes it different to you? It's the people. I always say it's the people that make it different, and and you never you never really know the layers of relationships of people here, the know-how, the connections. It all intersects on so many, on so many levels. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think that kind of. You know, closes us out on like what the Detroit is different journey is. I don't know if you have any like tongue in cheek, like, uh, 
surface uh, hilarious questions. <laughs> but, you know. What would be a hilarious question if I'm trying different? <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. But, what, I, but we, we can say this too. Like, I guess what was the moment that that was like, what was, what was the most surprising hilarious moment in this entire process of what you trying to different? I mean, it, it's so it's so many. As you know, I love laughing, so I'm doing it so much based on human behavior. Um, man, what what was one of the funniest things? I mean, it's generally connected to Josh because Josh's <laughs> personality is. I mean, along with him being a comedian, like yeah. he's smart. So like, yeah. uh, Josh's whole personality is like really is really funny. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so so Josh, um, it's probably something Josh related, but it may not necessarily be. What was something really funny? What was something really funny that happened? I don't know. I'm stuck by it. I gotta think. <laughs> I gotta think. Probably by the time I post this, I'll, I'll write it. <laughs> like, ah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Now we, we were dying laughing at that. Okay, here's something. Here's something that was really funny that I remember. It's, it's back to Detroit. It's different. Um, the kids across the street were running. Uh, they were racing. And, and these are kids, but I'm saying they're kids, but dudes that are about, like, 18, 19, and then Piper was walking downstairs, and she was like, yeah, you see people running, you may want to run. And I was like, I don't know, I'm from the hood. I'm like, that's not a, it's not a runaway run. <laughs> like, it's too much of a straight line. <laughs> right? So I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, oh, man, we just racing. So he was just talking. And I was like, all right, first off, <laughs> I was like, first off, he got such a head start on you, I don't even know why you were racing. It was just an interesting exchange between me Piper and the kids across the street that were running and racing in the middle of the street. And this was late, like maybe 1230 at night. Wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. but this is like some Detroit. It's yeah, it probably just didn't want to be in the house. Yeah. Probably like, hot as to all get out in the house. It was hot. Yeah. You know. And it's like, yeah, who does a 1230 at night race? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it happens in Detroit. Which, which leads me to this next thought, which is. Like, this isn't necessarily usual. This is a little bit different to have a house that is a maker space in the middle of the hood. Yes. So, speak a little bit to the relationship between a house and a community. Because, you know, when you drive past and you see this big thing over the window saying Detroit is different. Yeah. Like, I'm sure it raises a few eyebrows. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My neighbors... It was like, you know, what kind of trap house is this? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, what kind of different dope they got up in there? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that may be one of Josh's... <laughs> well, actually, Josh's last jokes, because I have two networks. It's Detroit is different and Detroit is different after dark. I'm like, you know, you cuss too much. And it's, it's too risky and raunchy. And he was like, see, you you made me after dark. You know what I'm saying? I, I didn't even sign up for this. I don't know what it is. He was like, after dark. And I have... Out of contracts, like his whole show starts on like I'm signing after dark. We don't sign no contracts. <laughs> Silly. <laughs> so, um, but um, the relationship with the neighborhood is it's been really good. It's been really good. 
I've been over here for so long, I know a lot of the people, you know. Um, some people are like, you're not afraid of this, you're not afraid of that. I'm like, man, I've been over here so long. So it's been really safe uh, as far as connecting with people. Um, I know that I look forward to really bridging the gap and bringing more people in. Uh, it's a senior that lives across the street. I see her family's been spending more time with her. So I think she may deserve a little bit more attention. So I want to do that. Uh, and having the courage to do something like that, especially connected to so many people here in this house, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, how does it feel having this, this spot that so much is happening in the neighborhood that you grew up in, mm -hmm. and you watch this neighborhood change maybe mm -hmm. A couple times. What kind of vision, perhaps, would you you have for this place being, you know, a beacon of? I will hope it. Never. I will hope it inspires somebody else to move in that wants to be creative. I don't know when that will happen, but I'm optimistic it'll happen over my lifetime. And another creative, and then another creative. And then I can just bounce from place to place, and then we can create different things in different houses. Like, oh yeah, he has better cameras for this. So yeah, go, go, five, go four houses down. Like, he has a better microphone for that. Go, go, <laughs> go three houses back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I see that happen. And, and, uh, why do you feel like this, this level of kind of like self-reliance is really important in the city's makeup at this moment? Um, because even with some of the projects I've been associated with, I don't want to say it's smoke and mirrors, but even from the larger quote-unquote projects with larger budgets and everything, it still kind of comes down to who's driving that. And if we're relying as a people on others to create opportunities for us without it exhausting all we can do for ourselves, we're, we're disservicing ourselves. You know, we owe it to ourselves to exhaust what we can do before we expect, uh, present, and definitely rely on others to create that opportunity for us. I've had any moments where like somebody from the neighborhood like ask questions about mm -hmm. what's going on here? What is, what's, yeah, a lot what's of times. Conversation like? uh, generally, I've done a couple tours for people. And like anytime it's like a good big group of people outside, you know, people will drive down the street and then they'll stop. And I give them my card and I tell them what it is. And, you know, it's been good exchanges. Yeah, what, what questions do they have? I'm curious. What y'all do? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How do you explain that? And I say, well, this is my incubator space. We create. Y'all got babies up in there? <laughs> babies. <laughs> we do a lot of creating content. It's like video, audio. You should come. Like, let's let's talk. Are you, what do you do? You know, what do you do that's artistic? That's generally the next question I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and can you talk a little bit too about the? the other parts of this facility and what you're, what you're doing in those other parts? Okay, so on the first floor is photography. 
and we see also expanding our next podcast studio that will be video based as well uh, on the first floor all the way in the back it's a meeting room the kitchen also doubles as a space that we do a lot of brainstorming uh, we're thinking about turning that last back hallway into a dark room for photography the basement has a recording studio capability and it's also an editing suite on this floor right across the not across the hall the other room up here in the center. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about using the, the other space too? The little house to I think we should. It's it's gonna definitely take renovation, but we should. We should definitely get into that. Over time we definitely will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you see, like one of the creators that moves over here should be Sterling. That should be <laughs> in one of these days. Yo, yeah, Sherman, I'm gonna need it for multiple reasons very soon, man. Exactly. The, Ster the Sterling home. <laughs> There'll be all types of folks coming, coming between Sterling's creators. You know what I'm saying? So. Hey, man. Hey. Yeah. Are there people that you haven't gotten for the podcast yet and you like? I want to sit these people down. Yeah, yeah, it's a couple of different names. Uh, one that comes to line, actually all three Congress people at one point in time from the 90s. So Barbara Rose Collins, John Conyers, Carolyn Cheeks, Kilpatrick. All three of those names, I want to interview all three. And I see that happen, I see that happen. What about maybe in terms of music and visual arts? Hmm. Um, visual arts, Tyree Guyton. Need to definitely connect with him. That, that's a Sterling. You need to look that up. That would be very. Tyree is. Yeah, I know. Tyree. I may have to travel to him. So. Tyree, oh no, no. I, it, I think it could happen possibly. But yeah, I, Tyree. Yeah. I'm saying. I'm saying it would be a very interesting interview. Almost oh, definitely. The way he thinks is so different. <laughs> you got that right. Yeah. He's the essence of a lot of this. Right, right, right. But uh, Tyree. Uh, who else? Visual art. Visual art. Mm. Maurice Malone, because I put fashion in there. Yeah. Visual art. And I don't know who that person is, but whoever the person that, see, this is like at Detroit's different stuff. Whoever the firm that has the contract of the upkeep of the artistry of the Fisher Building, I want to talk to them too. I know that is. Okay. See, I want to talk to them. I know. I think that'd be an interesting discussion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, also, who are some of the people that you've had on so far that you were like, wow, that was, I love that, that interview? Uh, the, tomorrow, Charlie Beckham's interview was really cool. Uh, and Gia Kai, gonna have her back. Uh, Malika King was really cool. It's been a lot of good interviews. Henry Tyler oh, was a really good interview, too. That's I need to bring him back. I need to bring him back. Um, and I need to get RJ Watkins in the mix. <laughs> and I need to get RJ, RJ from RJ's latest arrival here, too. It'd be good to do an RJ RJ. RJ. And get the two RJ sons, too. Yeah, yeah. That, that'd be very interesting. The four RJ. <laughs> the four RJ. <laughs> that would be incredible. 
That would be, be like, what is this? That would be epic, epic man. Detroit is different to the max. That man. would be epic, <laughs> boy. RJ, RJ Prime. <laughs> be like, uh, just RJ and then like to the fourth power. <laughs> oh, that would be epic, man. That would be great. I haven't, yeah, as I, as I talk about that, um, I haven't talked to Mike Powell in a long time, but I'm sure I can get Mike to, do, to set up something with RJ. So yeah, maybe maybe we do that. I know RJ Watkins if he had you know with time and availability. But that's something that I would sit on. I would really work that. I would I would want to orchestrate something like that. That would yeah. be an interesting discussion. Yeah, yeah. Is there anybody else too that you feel like you would be like a kid in candy store and you hmm. interview them? Hmm. See, I think Jalen Rose would be a great interview, but he's so active with ESPN. I don't know, you know, I think Jalen would be a great interview. Um, but I know the, probably like the, the, the clauses of how I have to send the questions first and all of that. Um, who else would be a great interview? Who else would be a Hey, it's always Derek Coleman. <laughs> I mean, I definitely, I mean, I should interview D.C. I know D.C., but, but D.C., you know, D.C. is, is a, it, he's not as, um, D.C. is more of a to-himself dude, you know, in, in business and communication and everything. You know, Jalen is just colorful people. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Obviously. Mozzie Ski. I think Mozzie Ski, that's an interview that I've been speaking up for a long time, but. Yeah. Whenever that happens, that's going to be, I think, as you talk about kid in the candy store, I think I'm going to just be able to <laughs> turn on the mic and I'm going to be like, hey, let's talk to Trace Most Wanted. And then he'll just yeah. let it go. Yeah. Uh, I think that would be a cool one. Um, hmm. Who else would be a very interesting? Okay, when I worked at, when I worked at, the, and I don't even know what podcast he would come on, mm-hmm. but when I worked at Homerica Park a long time ago, one of my managers was Charles. But Charles was a dancer at Mozambique for a long time. <laughs> His name was Light Luscious. Did he have finger waves? I don't know if he had <laughs> finger waves, but I'm sure at one point in time he probably did. Charles was funny as hell. And he was like a, a male dancer for at least like about 15 years. <laughs> I think he could tell some stories oh, that probably that. are hilarious. Because he was telling stories that were hilarious when I was working with him. Yeah. So I, the Charles interview, the light luscious. <laughs> <laughs> interview. Interview would be great. That would be that's that that's another one like it, you know these are like the interesting people like yeah. you know what I'm saying like, yeah straight up Detroit culture man. yeah yeah because that all like Watts Club Mozambique and all that like that, yeah. is, that is like Detroit culture ground zero like all that stuff you know yeah like, yeah 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 like, all, all a, day that was a very big part of the culture of the city in the eighties oh the early nineties oh yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, the owner, when it was actually a place that played R&B, um, he's passed away. Because I was talking to Butch, like, man, that'd be great to interview him. 
but he's passed away. Um, the whoever the promoter was that was a part of the team that brought NWA here to the Silverdome concert where the got where the people were shot. I would love to talk to whoever that promoter was. Um, still got Sean P too. Sean P would definitely be great. Uh, it's it's so many people that I think would be great interviews. Uh, that I, that I haven't gotten, but just know some of their personality because I've witnessed them in rooms and everything. Um, one that you know, I mean, it's like when you talk about somebody that would been a great interview, Bella Marshall before she passed, rest in peace. I think she would have been an amazing interview. Yeah, who was that? Uh, Don Barton's uh, late wife. Okay. Um, I think she would have been a better interview with Don Barton. Um, you know, so that would be interesting. And who else? Who else? Because it's sometimes, like, you know, I've seen people in rooms and I've just seen their attitudes, you know, and seen their presentation. And that's where it's like, oh, this person would. They have so much personality, you know. Um, Still gotta get Awesome Dre, right? Awesome Dre is definitely coming. I've talked to him. We, we're, you know, like Awesome Dre is like Lola Demont. We're like they're coming because the connection is already there. It's just organizing when that will happen. Um, you know, it's it's other people that that fit into this story as well. Smokey Robinson would be an amazing interview. I'm gonna talk to Butch about hooking that up. I think we're gonna get Duke, maybe Otis. So something's gonna be coming from that Motown, you know, hierarchy. So you know, I think Smokey would be interesting. Because just even looking at him in interviews he's interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know. Like with Stevie Wonder, this is funny, like I'm not saying I wouldn't want to interview him, but if I could create content with Stevie Wonder, I wouldn't even want to do an interview. I would just you know, no, I heard these boy. stories. I heard these stories that he used to because when I was at recording school, it was a place not far where Stevie's brother lived. Uh, where where he would take him to the music store and Stevie would like they would get a new music station in, and Stevie would go from sound to sound and just play one sound for like, like he would, the store would open at 10 o'clock in the morning, and Stevie would just be playing sounds the whole time, like for like eight hours, like brother bring lunch. And he just, like to remember what that sound was, you know? So I really would like to, you know, do something with Stevie where like we could throw sounds at him and then we could see his interpretation of it. Kind of like when I ask artists, like when you when you hear a color blue, what do you think? You know, I would I would like to throw sounds at Stevie, like okay, so strings, but then weird sounds like okay, a glass breaking. What do you think? Like just to get into the mind a little bit of him. like that. That's what I want to do with Stevie. I wouldn't even want to do like the traditional. It'd be all about sound and how he interprets it. Right. He, he, 
Have you thought about any other things that might not be traditional interviews that you would find interesting to do? Uh, Craig Strong. I, we, we were trying to work on this before my mom passed, and we're going to pull this off one day. Uh, you know, Judge Strong, everybody's like, man, y'all got that one judge that's always wearing them flashy suits. <laughs> I would love to go to Judge Strong's closet and just, <laughs> <laughs> and just go through the suits he got. <laughs> I think that would be dope. I think that would be some classic content. Have a close his eyes and be like, guess what color gator this is? <laughs> 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 you're like, uh, that's lavender. <laughs> Damn, you're right, that's lavender. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be dope. Wait, wait, is this a fuchsia? No, 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 this ain't the fuchsia. This, this is the fuchsia. <laughs> That's the eggshell. It's the turquoise. Yes, it's the turquoise. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's specific. Like, that is eggshell. Like, yeah, man, I think that would be great content. Like, and then some stuff is non-traditional, too. I did this thing where before, like, I went to bartenders and said, if you could make a drink called the Detroit, what would it be? thought that was interesting. I would love to do like a, you know how HBO had Taxi Cab Confessions? I would love to do a Coney Island Confessions with like (laughs) Midnight Coney Island Cooks, you know? Oh, man. Like to be like, yo, man, what's the wildest shit you done seen up in here at one in the morning? Be like, oh, man. (laughs) You you may want to like... Get that taken care of before you talk about it, because that's like <laughs> that's a hit waiting to happen right there, man. Like right. Cody Allen confessions. Hey man. Hey man. You know what I'm saying? I, I also am big in like the horseshoe culture. Detroit has a big horseshoe culture. Yeah. I want to do a documentary on that, like the way that guy did the documentary on Jimmy. Yeah. I want to do a documentary on the horseshoe games. I got to take you to my father's. Horseshoe pit on Six Mile. They, they, That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they got like right on Six Mile. They got like, you know, like an open lot. Like you got mm-hmm. like open lots. And somebody got all these, like you know how you you go on like a check cash place or something to do like those vinyl mm-hmm. seats that like go all the way across. Yeah. Like somebody got a whole bunch of those and put them around this lot. Mm. And it's like, it's like a so horseshoe like stadium. A, yeah, I was going to say, it's like, it's like the horseshoe coliseum. <laughs> but that's the, that is the Detroit is different. Like, to me, that's the essence of Detroit is yeah. different. And like, run that juxtapose, like, an interview with, you know what I'm saying? Like, like the mayor like, or something. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. They got like a mannequin with a D hat on it. Like, it's, it's <laughs> like a mannequin with a D hat. <laughs> but see, that's the type of Detroit stuff where it's like, who is doing this? And it's like, but that is Detroit. Yeah. A horseshoe the Coliseum. It is, man. <laughs> you can get a good hundred. <laughs> <laughs> It's a big sign on the corner that says the pit. Like it's I need to it's official, bro. It's but a, see that's the it's that official. is to be like <laughs> that is the form of like when people talk about like how do you get the community engaged? And it's like, yo, sometimes you'll be in Detroit and you will find the horseshoe pit, the, the Coliseum of horseshoes. Yeah man. It is the 
It's the Madison Square Gardens of Detroit Horseshoe Games. Yeah. Yeah. You they are not mean? sitting on milk crates. No, man. It's, 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 it's decked out, boy. This is like... <laughs> <laughs> I got yeah. a manicure with a knee hat. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the Louvre of horseshoe. The Louvre of horseshoe. <laughs> <laughs> it's, see, that's it's immaculate. No? That is what I'm saying. That's what makes Detroit amazing. <laughs> That's what makes Detroit amazing. You know? Yeah, man. And that's where you get official horseshoe rules. <laughs> oh, yeah, they serious. You, is not, you are not overstepping the line. The rules are serious, bro. Yep. Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. Oh, man, it's been big fun, man. All day. You know, can't wait to do 200. 200 is coming. God knows when, wait, but... how long it takes to do 100? It, it's a... It's a... From 14 to now... But wow. 200 may be sooner. Oh, man. So let's rock. Yeah, let's do it. All right, peace. Peace.